Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Vanguard, Pastor Kerry here. I was just remembering this week, a few years ago, uh, after I had joined the staff team at another church, the church decided to have this sort of open mic event uh, that would allow the congregation to get to know their new pastor better. And one of the questions that I was asked uh, during that open mic time was, what are your pet peeves? Now, I hadn't been asked that kind of question in a public gathering like that before, so I had to come up with uh, a good answer, and it needed to be something because everybody's got pet peeves. You know, I didn't want to come across like I was perfect or sinless, never got irritable. On the other hand, I couldn't come up with too many pet peeves because I didn't want the congregation to think, man, this guy's got a lot of things that bother him. That wouldn't have looked good either. So in a matter of just a moment, I had to quickly prioritize my pet peeves and get rid of all my other ones and throw up a desperate prayer to the Lord. Please help me. Help me answer this question right. And so after a moment of thought and after throwing that prayer up to the Lord, here's, here's how I answered that question. The things that drive me crazy are men who don't lead, people who don't grow, and lines that don't move. That's that's it. I think those are the big ones. Thankfully, that last one, lines that don't move, is one that I'm not alone. A lot of people can relate to that. I mean, how many times have you been at the grocery store and felt like, why did I pick the line that's moving the slowest? I know I've been there plenty of times. Or maybe when you're driving in rush hour traffic or maybe down in Los Angeles and you choose the lane that you think's moving fastest only to see all the other people driving by you in the other lane that you were in. That happens to me a lot. Well, I am notoriously impatient. But let's be honest, we all struggle with patience in one way or another. And... We don't like to wait, especially 21st century Americans. Now, this certainly is being revealed, isn't it, during um, this season here in the spring of 2020 during the coronavirus pandemic when we're on shelter-in-place orders, having to stay at home. We, We don't have the freedoms that we're used to having, and we're tired of waiting. We're tired of waiting for the shelter-at-home orders to be lifted. We're tired of waiting for to go back to work, to go back to school, to hang out with our friends. We're tired of waiting for the economy to open up again. Well, God's powerful, personal, and practical word has encouragement and counsel for us on this topic of waiting. And before we open the scriptures together, let's ask the Lord to help us understand what we're going to read and how we should apply it to our hearts. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for 
not only inspiring the authors of Scripture to write your word, but also preserving it over the centuries so that we could be blessed by it today. Thank you, Lord, that you know we struggle with patience and waiting, and yet you still love us. And Lord, we just want to admit what you already know, that we are impatient and that our flesh wants instant satisfaction when we have a want or a need. Please, Lord, would you help Psalm 13 help us to grow in this way, in this area. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing this series I've been doing this spring called Biblical Thinking about the coronavirus. And I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. And as you turn there, let me just give you a little bit of background on the Psalms. The book of Psalms, as it is called, is really, above all, an ancient hymn book. It contains 150 songs that were used by the Hebrews in their worship services. In fact, the title of this book, the book of Psalms in the original language, the title literally means book of praises. Now, however, the Psalter, as it sometimes is called, also contains a variety of prayers from some of the godliest men who ever walked on this earth. Now, although David doesn't mention here in Psalm 13 in the superscript where he was or when he wrote it, it's generally accepted by scholars that he was writing this short psalm during the eight to nine year period in which he was running from King Saul. You see, the chronology of David's life in 1 Samuel tells us that through no fault of his own, uh, David was in a high-pressure situation in which he was desperate to get out of. While serving under King Saul as his armor-bearer and chief musician, the Lord decided to fire Saul and promote David to the position of king. However, this leadership change was not supposed to happen for almost another 10 years. It would be like, and just imagine that this happened to you. It would be as if the owner of your company called your boss and you into his office and said, boss, you're fired and you, you're going to be promoted to take his position. But I don't want to make this change for eh, maybe nine or 10 years. Just imagine what that would have been like. <laughs> so as, as you can imagine, Saul was obviously jealous and he wanted to delay, if not prevent, this firing from happening by killing David. And David knew the Lord wouldn't be pleased if he removed Saul himself in order to speed up the process. And David also wanted Saul to leave him alone so he, would, so he could stop running for his life. So that's kind of the background of the context of what's happening with this psalm in Psalm 13. Here's, here's why I think Psalm 13 is extremely timely for us today. I have noticed in my own life and in the lives of others that our first instinct 
when we don't receive what we want, when we want it, is to blame men instead of asking God. I've seen couples do this when they're going through a divorce process and their divorce is held up in the courts, but they've already emotionally and mentally left the marriage and they want to start dating other people. And so they start dating other people, saying, well, it's not my fault that, that the courts are taking so long. Or I've seen, I'm seeing this uh, when teenagers uh, take a driving test and maybe they failed the first few times, they blame the test administrator as opposed to asking themselves, what, what's, what's God doing here? And how can I get better as a driver? And of course, I'm seeing this right now as various groups around the country are blaming the government, the Democrats, the Republicans, and who knows who else for not reopening the economy sooner. And yet... Here in Psalm 13, David shows us how to look beyond people and go straight to the person causing or allowing the delay. Well, who's that? You might be wondering. Well, that person is the Lord. Psalm 13 answers the question, how do we pray while we're waiting on the Lord. And so with that, follow along with me as I read the first couple of verses in Psalm 13. David says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? I'm going to stop right here. Here's the first point on your outline. The first thing I think this psalm tells us, and it's this. Sometimes the Lord puts us in a waiting room. Sometimes the Lord puts us in a waiting room. When he says, notice after you write that down, if you would look at the text and look at verses 1 and 2, how many times do you see those words, how long? Go ahead and look. That's right, four times. Four times in two verses. How long suggests a deadline that has been delayed or an unmet expectation or no signs of movement on the horizon as David looks out and tries to envision his near future? How long is a, it's a quantitative question that asks for a limit to be set on something that is felt unlimited. Notice then in verse 1, he also says, How long, Lord, will you hide your face from me? This is what scholars call an anthropomorphic expression. I know it's a big word, and I don't throw it out there to try and impress you or anything, but, but the word really means, what it means is this, David is using language normally used to describe people in order to illustrate what he feels God is doing or not doing. So he's describing God as having a face that hides, which, of course, we know he 
doesn't literally have a face like a human does. He's, he's, he's kind of describing it. It feels like, God, you're, you're hiding your face from me so I can't see you or hear from you. It's given his circumstances and the length of time he had been waiting, David feels like God was playing that game we all played when we were kids called hide and seek. Except this time, God was like one of the big kids who left the playground so the little kids could keep seeking and seeking and seeking, but never finding anyone. Thus never having a chance to win the game. Because you can't find someone who's decided they don't want to be found in a game of hide-and-seek. Next, David writes in in verse 2, How long must I take counsel in my soul? Uh, The NIV translates this as, How long must I wrestle in my thoughts? He's, He's describing the internal turmoil that was keeping him up at night. Then he goes on and says, How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? So he's depressed through the day as well. Thus, his life was this perpetual cycle of sleepless nights, restless days, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to show up. Let's, let's pause the video and talk about this discussion question that you have on your worksheet. What are some good reasons why the Lord would make us wait for things we've asked for. What are some good reasons that you think God would do that? I'd like you to think about that for a moment, and I'll be right back and share some ideas I have. And don't cheat, by the way, okay? So go ahead and talk about that. Now, when I pondered this question, I often think of flying on a, on a plane. If you've ever flown on a commercial airliner, like I'm sure many of you have, then you probably have experienced being on a plane and put in a holding pattern before you land at your destination airport. Circling that airport when you're in a hurry to get somewhere, maybe the plane's crowded, you're cramped, maybe you have to use the restroom, it's been a long flight, you're tired. When you're circling the airport and you can look out the window on the plane and see where you want to be, but you can't get there, it can be a maddening experience, can't it? But there are a multitude of reasons why air traffic controllers will tell the pilot of your plane to maintain a holding pattern. Uh, For example, there may be a dangerous storm that needs to pass over the airport first so that it's safe to land. Or perhaps the, the plane may not be ready to land because it needs to burn off some fuel. Or the terminal may need to be prepared, or, or perhaps the terminal in which your plane is going to land in is still being used by another plane. Well, in the same way, there are a multitude of reasons 
the Lord might put us into a holding pattern. There may be danger that needs to pass before we land or the Lord releases us. There, or we may not be ready to be released from our holding pattern. We may not be ready to land, to use the illustration. Or perhaps the place where the Lord's going to move us to or the blessing he's going to prepare for us, it may not be ready either. But I think there's an encouragement that we can, we can glean from the text and that we can glean from holding patterns. And it's, it's this, the Lord loves us so much that he sometimes won't bless us until we are ready to be blessed or until the blessing is ready for us. Let's continue to study the text. Look at your Bibles with me at verses 3 and 4. So David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, and lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, and lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here's number two on your outline. The next thing that I think this passage tells us is that Prayer can sustain us in our waiting room. Prayer can sustain us in our waiting room. David did the only thing that he could do given the circumstances he was in. He prayed. And he prayed to the only one who could help him. And you know what? We should do the same thing. When we find ourselves in a waiting room or a, or a holding pattern, in fact, I have found that sometimes the Lord puts us in a waiting room so we will stop doing things and just pray. Have you seen that before? Has that ever happened to you? Where, where the Lord just locks you in, hems you in, so... All you can do is pray. Notice in, in verse 4, David makes his request to the Lord, and he also tries to help God see the benefits of answering his prayers. He says, you know, Lord, help me. Verse 4, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice. In other words, what he's saying here is, Look, God, if you don't intervene, my enemies, King Saul and his men in particular, they're going to celebrate the fact that they beat me or maybe even killed me. And then they're going to mock you, Lord. They're going to mock you. Your reputation is on the line here. You see, because, because Lord, you told the prophet Samuel to anoint me as the next king, but if King Saul can kill me or dispose of me, then King Saul and his men basically prove they can be God. They, they can overrule what God says is going to happen. That's, that's kind of what David's saying here. So prayer can sustain us in our waiting room, but, but let's continue David makes an important shift here in verse 5. 
He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Here's number three in your outline. I want to encourage you to write this down. Faith can give us peace in our waiting room. Faith can give us peace in our waiting room. Verse 5 is the beginning of what I call a, a pivot. It, it's in many of the Psalms where, that David wrote, he would shift gears from expressing his concerns and his heart to the Lord to praising and trusting the Lord. And so, so here, and he does this very often in the Psalms, he's, he'll cry out to the Lord, help me, God, help me, God, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to praise you and I know you still love me. And that's what he does. Notice in verse 5, you can underline it in your Bible, but I, meaning I'm going to contrast and change direction from what I just was saying in the first four verses, I'm going to do something different now. So, e so even though David didn't know what God was doing while he waited, he did know the Lord still loved him and it saved him. And so he focused on that. After pouring out his heart to the Lord in verses 1 through 4, David basically says, Okay, God, despite the fact that I have no clue what you are doing, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Now, let's look at verse 6. So he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's number four on your outline. Praise can give us hope in our waiting room. Praise can give us hope in our waiting room. He says, I will sing to the Lord. Did you know that one of the best things you can do while you wait on the Lord besides studying God's word and praying is to worship him? Did you know one of the best things you can do is sing praise songs to him? There is something mysteriously powerful that happens in our souls when we make ourselves sing God's word back to him. When we, when we make ourselves praise him and worship him, even though we don't feel like it. I, I honestly can't explain it. I can only testify that I've seen it happen in my own heart and in the hearts of other people who are struggling with the Lord or disappointed in the Lord or waiting on the Lord. If you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Fire up some praise music on your smartphone or in your car. Turn on the Christian radio station or, or go, to, go to iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, and search for some good worship music and praise the Lord. Sing along with that music and you will find somehow mysteriously but powerfully your spirit will be lifted. 
Next, notice in verse 6, David says, I'm going to praise the Lord, not because of what the Lord is doing right now, because I can't see what he's doing right now. But instead, David says, I'm going to praise the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Some translations say, because he's been good to me. But the idea is the same. What's David, what's David doing here in verse 6? Well, he chose to focus on how God had been good to him in the past so he could be encouraged in the present. Now, for the Christ follower, this could be reflecting on your conversion experience or maybe reflecting on past answers to prayer where God did come through or perhaps looking for current blessings in your life. All those things can give us hope that the Lord is going to come through again, just as he did in the past. Now, let's pause the video again, and I'd like you to talk about this discussion question with your family or your friends or your spouse, or if you're by yourself, you can think about this for a couple of minutes. Why would it be bad if the Lord answered all of our prayers instantaneously the way we wanted him to? What would be the danger in this? Uh, think about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. I'm sure you came up with some good answers. Here's, here's a couple that came to my mind. It, you know, first of all, it wouldn't teach us to persevere in prayer, right? I mean, we would probably pray less, which means we wouldn't grow as close to the Lord because we wouldn't spend as much time talking to him in prayer about our needs. I think it also means we'd be spoiled. That'd be a dangerous thing. We, we'd be more spoiled and selfish than we already are. I mean, let's be honest. It also would mean our faith wouldn't grow. And we would treat God like a, like a vending machine or like a genie in the bottle where we can just rub and say, I've got some wishes here, Lord. I need you to come through. And, and, and the danger in that would be that we, we would start to think the Lord is here to serve us instead of us serving him. And, that, and that, the reason that's really, really dangerous is because we become God then. Well, all this has caused me to wonder or to, to ask a question. For me, when I was studying this passage, I... I found myself asking the question, what does God promise to those who wait on him? What, what are the benefits of waiting on the Lord? And thankfully, there are a ton of benefits. Here's, here's five that I found. I could have found even more, but just for the sake of time, I'm going to rattle off five subpoints here. So this is going to be letters A through E. And I'm going to hit them quickly, and if you miss them, that's okay. You can pause the video, or you can rewind it and, and play it back. Here's the first one that I found. Letter A is honor. The Lord promises honor 
to those who wait on him. In Psalm 25, verse 3, it says that no one who waits on the Lord will ever be put to shame. I think this verse, Psalm 25, 3, infers the opposite of what it's saying. And that is that those who wait on the Lord will be honored, and those who mock the believers who are waiting on the Lord, those who, those fools who say, hey, where's your God at? Where's God? How's your faith working for you now? They're the ones that are going to be put to shame. Next, um, letter B, the Lord promises blessings to those who wait for him. Uh, in Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you and will rise up to show you compassion and will bless those who wait for him. It suggests that we can wait on God and be blessed or not wait and not be blessed. I don't know about you, but I prefer the former as opposed to the latter. And the Lord doesn't give us the option of not waiting and being blessed, right? That's what we want. Our flesh wants that. Um, I'll take not waiting and being blessed. I want to have a little of this and a little of that too, but that's not an option. Next, letter C, he promises strength. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, I mean, it's a very popular passage. I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard it before. It's, it's inspired a lot of songs to be written and greeting cards as well. But it's in Isaiah chapter 40 that the Lord says, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. It speaks to the Lord's willingness to help us get through difficult seasons or seasons of waiting on Him. It reminds me of how parents um, help a child lift something that they're not strong enough to lift on their own. Well, the Lord wants to help us wait for Him longer than we could wait on our own. Next, letter D, is action. The Lord promises action. In Isaiah chapter 6, I'm sorry, Isaiah 64, verse 4, um, the Lord speaks through Isaiah that, that he will act for those who wait on him. What a powerful verse. It means that while we wait for him, he actively works for us. So, like, it again reminds me of being on a commercial airliner. Even though passengers on a commercial airliner are in a holding pattern above the airport and they, they can't see with their own eyes the work that's being done on the ground to get ready for their arrival, they trust that that work's being done and that they will eventually see the results of that work being done by the ground crews. So the Lord promises action for those who wait in Isaiah 64. And then finally, uh, letter E, he promises good things, good things. 
in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 to 26, the prophet Jeremiah, who, by the way, had the hardest ministry in the entire Bible as a, as a preacher. He was just utterly rejected and punished by the people of, of Israel for, for preaching repentance and telling them what God was going to do. Isaiah is commonly called the weeping prophet as a result. Well, Isaiah, sorry, not Isaiah, Jeremiah, I apologize, I misspoke. Jeremiah, though, writes in Lamentations chapter 3 that not only is the Lord good to those who wait on him, but it is also good for us to learn how to wait. And since the Lord is committed to doing good for us, it shouldn't surprise us that he would sometimes put us in holding patterns or waiting rooms from time to time. So, letter E, good things. Well, if you're waiting on God to do something, I want to encourage you to look up these five verses I just rattled off and highlight them in your Bible. Perhaps write them down or stick them up around the house to help you learn how to wait and trust in the Lord, to, to remind you of the benefits that come from waiting and trusting and not being anxious. And by doing so, I know you'll find it easier to wait on the Lord just a little bit longer. These blessings, though, of waiting on God are another example of how he can redeem what we perceive as wasted time. However, just like the promise that all things will work together for good in Romans 8, 28 and 29, these blessings that I just listed off are reserved for genuine Christ followers only. A Christ follower, of course, is someone who realizes they are a sinner, separated from God by their sin, deserving eternal death as a result of it. But then they repent of their sin and by faith trust that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and then was resurrected three days later. And then knowing this, that lost sinner surrenders his or her life to follow Jesus Christ. And when they do that, based on what Jesus did for them on the cross and then resurrecting himself out of the tomb, they receive forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, and so much more. And so if, if you have not yet made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do so, not only so that you can have your eternity secure in heaven and forgiveness for your sins, but, but also so that you can experience these blessings when you have to wait on God. Well, let's talk applications. Here's two that come to mind. The first is stop blaming people and start praying and praising. Start, stop blaming people and start praying and praising. In other words, we should learn from what David did by doing what David has done. This, this means that 
we should humbly ask the Lord questions in prayer, like, you know, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to learn in this season in which just, it seems like you're doing nothing. You're not saying anything. I'm just waiting and waiting. What do you want me to learn? What are you trying to do in my life? Or what do you want me to do while I wait? Lord, is there anything I can do to be productive? Or sometimes, Lord, how do you want me to pray? How do you want me to pray? Because I'm out of prayers. I'm out of words. And this includes thanking him for his steadfast love, for providing salvation through Jesus Christ, and worshiping him, as David says in verse 6, for his bountiful goodness, for being good to us. Here's a second application that comes to mind, and that is to make the most of your weight by growing. Make the most of your weight by growing. When we're waiting on God, it's easy to focus on all the things that we can't do, that we want to do, like change our circumstances, change people, or get a faster response from a potential employer or quicker test results from the doctor. But instead, I want to encourage you to focus on what you can do. And, and one of those is you can grow in the Lord. That, that's a change you can affect. You can spend more time studying God's Word. You can spend more time in prayer while you wait than when you're busy doing other things. You can seek biblical counsel from an elder or a pastor on, on what, you can, what, what you can be learning while you're struggling. And you can read good Christian books that address the topics you're struggling with or the sins that you struggle with. Or good there are a lot of great Christian books out there, and I can recommend a few that will give you hope and encouragement while you wait on the Lord. By God's grace, I've done all these things in a couple of long waiting seasons in my own life. And, and by God's grace, I've been able to look back on those seasons and see them as periods of really rapid growth in my walk. You know, I can look back and go, man, that, that span of, you know, those two years right there, that was hard. But I learned a lot in those two years. I grew so fast, so I'm thankful for that time. Well, how long must we wait for the economy to open back up or wait to see our friends or our loved ones? How long must we wait for financial relief or physical healing? The short answer to those questions is as long as the Lord deems fit. In Proverbs 21.1, Solomon writes that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Psalm 13 should encourage us because it shows us that we're not the only ones who have had to wait on the Lord and, and who've had to wait for him to come through during tough times. But Psalm 13 also shows us that God knows waiting is hard for us. 
And he gives us permission to ask, how long is this going to be, Lord? Someone who's been helping me learn more patience is South African pastor Andrew Murray. When Murray was visiting England for a speaking engagement in 1895, he began to suffer such extreme back pain from a previous back injury that he had to be put on bed rest. While he was recuperating upstairs in this hostess's home, uh, his hostess came to serve him breakfast in the morning and said, there's a, there's a lady downstairs at the front door who is really going through some difficult times, and she's wondering if you had some encouraging counsel for her. Uh, to which Pastor Murray replied, absolutely, give her this piece of paper. I've been writing down some encouragement for my own heart while I wait on the Lord to heal my back. And this is what he wrote. In times of trouble, say, first, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place, and in that I will rest. Next, he will keep me in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And lastly, in his good time, he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. Therefore, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, for his time. I hope this insight from Andrew Murray encourages you like it's encouraged me many times. And this is, by the way, one of the many reasons I have been continuing to remind you this spring to not waste your quarantine or time at home. Instead, invest the extra time God has given you right now in your relationship with Him. Grow closer to Him. Making anything else more important than your relationship with the Lord will be a waste of time. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you this week. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.